Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands... Uh, lest they, uh, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Well, let's pray. Oh God, we do pray now that this same Holy Spirit who filled and led and empowered Jesus, O oh Spirit of God, would you fill us and lead us and empower us to follow Jesus? Amen. I was... Um, Looking at my notes from when I did this message uh, earlier at our church, and there was a sticky note on there about bringing sunglasses. That's because we were meeting outside. It's been a crazy time, hasn't it, these last two years? It's great to be able to be you know, back inside. But we've been through some tumultuous times uh, as, as, as a country, uh, all kinds of uh, difficulties with this, this pandemic, not to mention you know, topics, issues like politics and race, uh, you as a congregation uh, looking for a, for a senior pastor. And you know, I think uh, it, every time, every age, every, every life has its own sort of ups and downs and, and uh, uh, times of trial and, and, and times that can be tumultuous. And I think one of the, the marks of our time is not only that we've kind of been through some, some pretty rough sledding as a, as a culture, but we live in a uni unique time in history in the sense that we are so surrounded by voices, right? So during the announcements, take out your phone. So we've all got these smartphones, and so we are connected constantly to one another, to all these voices. And so we are constantly barraged with information and people and ideas and thoughts and worldviews, and with all these voices, it can be hard, can it, to sift out who should I listen to? Who do I believe? Who do I follow? Who do I trust? Where do I actually find truth? And so on this Lord's Day, here's this wonderful reminder. Isn't Sunday great? Isn't the Lord's Day great? Isn't it good to be here? I was sitting in my car, parked in your parking lot out there, looking at those soccer fields, and I was just... And Lord, there was a time when I would have much preferred to be out on those soccer fields on a Sunday morning than to be here. But God has 
reached into our lives, rescued us and saved us. And now what we get to do when we gather is we get to listen to his voice in a unique way through his word and the preaching of his word. And this is really where Christianity starts because Christianity is about following Jesus, right? And following Jesus means setting him first in our lives. And so that means his voice is the first voice and the most important voice in our lives. Jesus promises that anyone who hears what he says and does it will be like a wise person building a house on a solid, immovable foundation. That's good news in times that are tumultuous, isn't it? The Christian life involves letting Jesus' voice interpret all the others that we hear in our lives, including the voice that goes on inside of us. So Luke wrote this gospel, this book of good news about Jesus, so that his readers could be certain about the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And that involves knowing who he is and hearing and responding to what he says. So these chapters that uh, we're going to be in for the next uh, number of weeks, chapters 4 and 5, the, the idea here is let's listen to Jesus. Let's watch Jesus, hear him preach and teach, see him fight off the devil, as we'll see today, to see him heal the sick and set captives free. We'll see Jesus in these chapters grow in popularity and also in opposition, being opposed. We'll see Jesus as he reaches out to the oppressed and to the marginalized. We'll see him call all kinds of unexpected people to join him in his upside-down kingdom. And we'll have the chance, each one of us, to freshly hear his call to follow him and build our lives on him. As we go through these messages in Luke 4 and 5, I just want to encourage you to keep two things in mind. One is, who is Jesus? Just keep asking this question. If you've been a Christian for a short period of time, maybe you're not a Christian at all. Or maybe you've been a Christian for decades. Keep asking this question, who is Jesus? Like, What's he come to do? What's he saying? How does he treat people? What's he up to? So who is Jesus? And then second, why should I follow him? Why follow Jesus? And what does that look like? What does it look like to Follow Christ and build your life on his word. What does discipleship look like? So today we're picking up chapter uh, 4, verse 1. So the first three chapters, for, for a, a, a quick uh, uh, intro of what's happened, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, there were two miraculous births, John the Baptist and Jesus. John comes as the forerunner to get things ready for the Messiah, and that's his message, the Messiah is coming. John then actually baptizes Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, and there's this voice from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus comes as the second Adam. Jesus comes as the first human being since Adam and Eve fell, to whom God can say unreservedly, with you I am well pleased. And so then we get this genealogy, and then that leads into this, the, the temptation that we have here today. So here's kind of the, the big idea. Here's, here's the organizing idea. And here's the claim, I think, of this text. God's word is always persuasive. It's informational, but it's also transformational. It's designed to do something in our lives. What is this text supposed to do? Well, primarily, this text highlights the greatness of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the faithful son who overcomes temptation. That's the, that's the main thing happening in, the, in this passage. We're going to see how he overcomes temptation and proves to be the faithful son. But there's a reason why he's doing this. And he's doing this. He's making a way so that people like us can do that too. Can engage temptation, fight it successfully, and follow God. Okay, so that's what this passage is about. So let's, un- let's unpack this. There are these three temptations. It says that Jesus, remember, the last thing that happened was he got baptized. Spirit comes and descends upon him. So then it says in verse 1, Luke says, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He comes to the, to the Jordan being led by the Spirit, or from the Jordan, being led by the Spirit. And he goes out in the desert. So he's been waiting 30 years to get started with his ministry. He gets baptized by John. The Spirit comes. And what happens? He has 40 more days of sort of being set aside. But, but there's important things happening out in the desert, out in the wilderness here, because he's going to be tempted by the devil, and he's not eating. He's fasting for 40 days. And so it says, when they were ended, he's been fasting for 40 days. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I don't love fasting. When I fast, I crave food. Like, by 10 o'clock that morning, like, I, I can just, I can see donuts dancing in my head. I don't know what happens. I can't imagine fasting 40 days. And so when it says he was hungry, I think that's got to be one of the, that's the understatement of the year. He was hungry. So the devil then says to him, here's temptation number one. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, here we have this individual named Satan which means adversary. And often people can get to a spot like this and say, well, really? Like, is there really a devil? Is there really this being that, that's, 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 that's the devil? And what he's doing here is he's, he's enticing Jesus to disobey God and he's seeking to bring chaos and destruction into the world. So is there really a devil? Why would we believe there's a devil? Well, one of the reasons I believe in the devil is because the explanation that the Bible gives us of how the world got to be where it is is the clearest, most satisfying and compelling explanation I've ever come across. God's word explains to us why things are the way they are and particularly explains to us the presence and nature of evil like no other thought system I've ever encountered. And so Jesus engages this being, the devil, and the devil starts with this temptation, if, if you are the son of God. Now, this is a subtle temptation, and his temptations usually are subtle like this. So we want to ask, well, what's, what's the temptation here? What is the thing that Jesus is actually being tempted over? And so he starts with, if you are the son of God. So you might wonder, well, maybe this is a temptation to identity, are, are you really the son of God? Maybe you're not. That's possible, but I, I think that's probably not what's happening here. I think the idea here is he's saying, look, I'll acknowledge that you're the son of God, but now do something to prove it. I want you to show, to demonstrate, to prove who you really are. Since you're the son of God, use your, your power to solve this problem of your anger. Okay, so I'll grant your identity, but now I want you to prove it by your by your actions. So what's the temptation here? Now remember, you have to remember how he got there. How did Jesus get where he is? He was led by who? He's led by the Spirit. 
right? So he's being led by the Spirit, and he's being led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And now the devil is saying, if you're the Son of God, make some bread for yourself. He's hungry. He's weak. He's fully human. Let that sink in. This is why Jesus can sympathize with us in our sufferings and our temptations, because he's fully human like us. And so the temptation is to satisfy his hunger by disobeying God in order to eat before the fast is done. There's nothing sinful about eating unless you've been led by the Spirit to fast. That's the temptation here. The devil is saying, look, you're hungry. You want some food. Use your superpowers. Make some pita bread here. Have some lunch. You know what this is a test of? It's a test of trust. It's a test of dependence. Will Jesus be totally reliant on God and God's ways? Or when he's in trouble, will he bail out and do things his own way? Jesus cannot fulfill the desire to eat without disobeying God. Hear that. He cannot fulfill the desire to eat at that moment without disobeying God. And that's part of the devil's playbook that he's still doing with us. He plays on desires that we have and tempts us to fulfill our desires in a way that requires us to disobey God. Can you connect with that? You know that you have desires that go on inside of you all the time, and some of them we can say yes to in obeying God, and some of them we must say no to. Right? We're a bundle of desires, all of us. And so, stress, pressure. I don't need a show of hands. How many are experiencing stress and pressure at some point? Most of us, most of the time, right? So, we might have a desire to avoid that. It's hard, it's unpleasant. So, temptation, escape those pressures and stresses by eating too much, or vegging out and watching TV too much or drinking too much alcohol, or engaging in pornography, or shopping, or find some stress relief mechanism that in and of itself isn't necessarily sinful, just like eating bread wouldn't be for Jesus here. But when you look to it as a savior and a refuge instead of God, that's where those desires go wrong. That's the devil's playbook with us. Play on our desires in such a way that we fulfill our desires in a way that requires us then to disobey God. And so Jesus responds, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, basically, listen, there's more to life than bread. Right? Man doesn't live by bread alone. He's saying, I'm not going to fulfill any desires that I have. I'm hungry. That's true. That's real. But I'm not going to fulfill that desire by disobeying God. And by the Spirit's power, may we follow that example. Temptation number two is about glory. Look at verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, 
what's the temptation here? The devil is offering all this authority and glory in exchange for something. For what? What's the trade-off here? What's the bargain? You worship me, I'll give you glory. Right? It's, it's literally, if you will bow down in front of me is the literal language that, that's here. It's, this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And he's saying, I, I, I want to occupy that place in your life. Now, we might ask, does the Satan really have this much authority? Does he really have all this authority over all these kingdoms and all this power to grant all this glory? And he's probably somewhere between overselling and overtly lying. No, he doesn't have all of this. But Jesus doesn't challenge that part. And actually, we can remember Jesus as the Son of God, didn't he create all these kingdoms in the first place, right? But, but remember where he is. He has laid aside his glory, taken on humanity, and now he's come to be what? Not the conquering, glorious king. He's come to be the suffering servant and bear the sins of many on a cross. That's what he's here to do. So what's the temptation here? The temptation is this. Receive glory now and short circuit having to go through the pain of the cross. Don't go God's way. Grab what's coming to you later now on your own. Get it your own way. It's a shortcut to glory. It's a cross-free path to Messiahship. And it's a big, fat lie. Satan, he's like somebody who's fishing. He's showing the bait and hiding the hook. He's never going to share his power. He's never going to give away his glory. He's a liar. Jesus has nothing right now. He's 40 days hungry. He's out in the desert with nothing and he's being offered everything. But he refuses, saying, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, as he quotes Deuteronomy a second time. And the devil's playbook is still in play for us. Where are you tempted to take shortcuts to avoid suffering, to avoid trouble, to avoid difficulty? Where might you be tempted to grab power or success or control in ways that require you to put God in the back seat and short circuit the slow process and pathway that he's laid out for you? Temptation number three, protection. Temptation number three, protection. Look at verse nine. If you're the son of God, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, we need to understand, he's quoting scripture here. The devil is quoting the Bible, and he's actually using it accurately. The devil knows God's word, and he's able to use it or misuse it, as he did with Adam and Eve. And here he's quoting Psalm 91. Now sometimes he twists scripture and God's word as he does in Genesis 3. Here he quotes it accurately in the sense that he gives the right words, but he gives the wrong sense of the words. Psalm 91 is a psalm that, that is God's promise to protect and uphold his people when they find themselves in terrifying times. If you find yourself in trouble, Psalm 91 is a promise that God will be with you to uphold you and protect you. Can you see now, what the devil's doing is, he's saying, instead of trusting God in the future when he'll need him, he's saying, 
Make God prove to you now, force the issue with God that he's going to protect you and uphold you. You be in charge of setting the agenda for God's protection and power in your life. Do you really believe he's going to be there for you when you need him? Find out now by jumping off this temple and making him save and protect you. It's a little bit like Israel out in the desert when they were in trouble and they had no water. And they said, you know, is God really among us or not? Jesus picks this moment in Israel's history to say, look, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Israel in the desert, instead of Psalm 91 turning to God and trusting him to uphold them, they tested God. Is God really here? We doubt it. Prove to us, God, that you're going to do something to help us. And Jesus, in the same circumstances, says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. True faith and genuine worship doesn't test God or challenge God to prove himself or dictate to God what to do. When we find ourselves tempted to believe that God will not be there for us, what do you do and where do you go? Jesus' example is, We turn back to God and God's word and we remember who he is and what he does. Do you know, I find, I think in my own life, my fears and anxieties that are a constant struggle and battle for me, they flow right here from this lie. In the future, God's not going to be there for me. That's what fear really is. Fear is a a false prophecy that something bad's going to happen in the future and there's going to be no God there with you when that happens. And I live in that lie and battle that lie, and sometimes give in to that lie. It's a constant struggle. Jesus is my example here, my forerunner. He knows that God will protect him in the future and uphold him in the future, and so he doesn't need to force the issue now. So Jesus passes the test, and I love what it says. Verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now, what does this all mean? What do we do with this sitting here, Katherine Johnson Middle School, this Sunday morning, 2022? Who is Jesus? What has he come to do? Well, one way to answer that question is to say, Jesus fulfills Israel's mission to the world. Jesus is helping us put our Bibles together in what he's doing and saying here, and Luke is helping us too. Why does this happen in the wilderness? Why does Jesus three times cite Deuteronomy, Moses' sermon to Israel when they were where? In the wilderness, right? The Bible is this amazing book. It's God's marvelous story of his plan to save a people for himself, to bring them out of slavery into a promised land, to be his people, to do what? To be a light to the nations so that they can join him. Then all the nations can come and join Israel in worshiping God. So Israel starts on that journey from Egypt to the promised land. And they get stalled in the wilderness because they could not trust God. Could not obey God. God called Israel his son. Out of the wilderness I call my son. But that son was unfaithful in the wilderness for 40 years. So now... See how your Bible is put together. See how God is in charge of this story and writing this marvelous story of redemption. Now, Jesus comes. Who is he? He's the Son of God. Where is he? He's in the wilderness. How long is he there? 40 days. What does he do? He passes the test. That's our Savior. That's our God. 
He comes and every place that Adam failed and every place that Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. Jesus overcomes every temptation. Jesus is the faithful son who overcomes temptation. And he does that to make a way so that we can too. Not just by his example, that's not enough. We need to be born again and filled with the same spirit that empowered him so that with his example, by his word, and empowered by his spirit, we can engage those temptations and pass the test, relying on the word and glorifying God. So a few implications. First, this is first and most important. I appreciate it, uh, Hang, where you, where you put our attention er- earlier too, and uh, I think it was Ryan in the, in the huddle out there. We're, we're here to glorify God. The most important part of what's happening in this meeting is worshiping and glorifying and exalting and lifting up God. We are a distant second place. It's God who's first, in first place in this gathering. It's the Lord's day. So let us worship Jesus Christ. He succeeds where no one else has, where Adam failed, where Eve failed. Mary and Joseph failed, where you failed, where I failed. Jesus passes the test. There's only one perfect one. There's no one like him. He comes to proclaim liberty to sin's captives, to make obedience possible, to make obedience and following God desirable by giving us a new life filled with the presence and power of the Spirit. And now, now, he's not out in the desert fasting. Now God has given him the name that's above every name. Now every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's worship the faithful son. Second, may we live a spirit-filled life. I love this passage because of the bookends about the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says Jesus was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Verse 14 says he returned in the power of the Spirit. Think about that. If Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, could not accomplish what he needed to do in following God apart from being full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit, do we think we can do any better apart from the Spirit's ministry? Right? It's it's easy to lose track of the Spirit, though, isn't it? So here's just a fresh question. Are you full of the Spirit this morning? Are you seeking to be led by the Spirit this morning? Are you operating out of the power of the Spirit this morning? Lord, we might even just pause right here and say, Lord, come to this congregation. Fill us. Spirit of God, lead us and empower us to follow Christ. Amen. Jesus teaches his disciples, your your Father knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Luke eleven thirteen. Let's be a people who ask for more of the Spirit. And then third, implication number three is, this is a wonderful passage, primarily to come to worship Christ, secondarily to see what it means to be living the spiritual life. But third, this is a great place to be educated on how to fight temptation. Learn to fight temptation. There's a skill to this. This is an acquired skill. It's not something we're born good at doing. It's not something that just happens automatically when we're born again either. For example, we need to learn how to fight and we need to learn what the difference is between temptation and sin. 
There's a difference between temptation and sin. Jesus was tempted without sinning. But temptation, when you get on that road, it's a road that leads to sinning unless there is a U-turn in there somewhere. Jesus was tempted and yet without sin. And so we need to learn to fight sin by fighting temptation first. See, what's going on in this passage is that the, there's this enemy that's out there creating these moments of temptation for Jesus. Now, Jesus is a little different than us. He doesn't have this fallen human nature than, that, that, that we do. But he did have desires. He was what? What was his big desire in this passage? He was hungry, right? And so, so, so Satan is tempting him with those desires. So we have this, this challenge of desires that we have inside of us and temptations that live outside of us. And the problem is that we also have this fallen human nature that's still inside of us. And that human nature is like a traitor that's seeking to betray us and ally itself with the devil and with the world that we live in that wants to lead us astray. John Owen, a Puritan who wrote in the 1600s, and has much helpful to say about this, says this, Traitors occupy our own hearts, ready to side with every temptation and surrender to them all. So we need to understand that there's an on-ramp to sin, and it's not all out there. Some of it, and a lot of it, is going on in here. We can't control a lot of what's going on out there, but we can control what's going on in here. Here And we need to learn to fight temptation or to fight sin way up at the temptation level. By the time your face is red and you're ready to yell at the kids again, it's probably too late to do a good job fighting. At that point, we've probably fallen into temptation, as Jesus explains. By the time you've got the credit card out and you're about to buy something that you know you can't afford but really want, it's probably too late. we got to back the fight way up earlier to recognize when those temptations come to those desires and that traitor inside of us. What we want to do is we want to fight sin by fighting temptation before we start falling into it. When we fall into temptation, it's like falling into a pit and you're on your way down and by the time you're 9.8 9.8 seconds per meters, meters per second squared on your way down to the bottom of that pit, it's probably going to be tough to stop the direction that you're going. You want to try to fight it way up at the top. Owen says again, often we repent of the sins that overtake us without realizing how temptation starts in the first place. This makes us vulnerable to fall once more into sin. So a good place to start, if this is a new thought to you, is to just simply ask the Spirit, would you help me recognize when temptation comes? Because often we don't see temptation until it's too late. This is also a great place for community. These are great things to bring one another into. Whatever it is that you struggle with, patterns of sin, patterns of fear, patterns of anger, patterns of escaping into pleasures, Uh, as as false saviors. Let's talk about those things with with one another. Let's share those things with one another. Let's bear those burdens with one another and let's help one another fight well so that we can begin to to engage these things earlier before we're down at the bottom of the pit and have fallen into temptation, but up closer to the beginning where Jesus was here when the temptation itself comes. He recognizes it and I love what he does each time he pulls scripture out to fight against it. 
This is our weapon in fighting spiritual battles. He pulls out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Isn't it great to know you have a high priest like that? You know what that high priest is doing right now? He's interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. Your name is on his lips, and he can sympathize with your weakness and with your temptations, and he's walked the road that you're on, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us draw near to the throne of grace to to grow in our skill and effectiveness in fighting temptation for the glory of God. Jesus is the faithful son who overcomes temptation so we can too. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your glorious son. Thank you that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And yet a high priest who is perfect, without spot or blemish. Thank you that we have access to a throne of grace. And I pray as a Christian, I pray as a brother in Christ, I pray as a member of the the church in Northern Virginia, and as a partner in Christ with this congregation, I pray, oh God, teach us to fight temptation. Oh God, make Christ glorious to us this week. Oh God, fill us and lead us and empower us by your spirit to glorify you as we go into our week now. In Jesus' name, amen.